arc that we began at the beginning of February, and we're working our way through the entire New Testament this year, and we're going to start with Mark spending 16 weeks taking a specific story or passage from his gospel. The reason we start with Mark is most people believe Mark to be the earliest gospel account that we have, written sometime around 69 or 70 AD. And Matthew and Luke borrow a lot from Mark, and John's just kind of over here doing his own thing. But we start with Mark because it is the earliest gospel account that we have. And what Emily just read for us is the very first parable that we have of Jesus' teaching. 35% of the gospel accounts is comprised of Jesus' teaching in parables. In New Testament research, parables are very, very, I don't want to say controversial, but they are difficult to understand because there is a lot of debate about what is happening in a parable. Are we supposed to take away one point from the parable, multiple points, Are we to interpret these realistically or allegorically? So when it comes to the parables in parable research, there is a lot of differing of opinions. But this parable, there is no dispute because Jesus himself shares the parable and then right after he gives us the meaning of the parable. And he doesn't always do that in the gospels. So I chose an easy one because Jesus already did all of the hard work for me. Okay, so what is happening in this parable? It is the parable of the sower. And I'm going to make some introductory remarks to you, and then we're going to unpack four types of soil that we read about in this story today. But the introductory remark is this. The word of God has already been scattered. So for all of us in this room, all of those watching at home The word of God has been scattered. The seed in this story that we read about is the proclamation of the gospel. Now, every single week as I spend time preparing my messages and studying and reading and praying, I try very hard to ensure that every single message communicates the truth of the gospel. Not that I read from a gospel account, but that every single sermon at some point, we try to tie together the good news, which is that Jesus came and lived the perfect life that you and me were unable to live, and he died the death that we deserve in our place on the cross because of his love for all of humanity. So if you have been attending church here For many, many years, then you have heard the gospel message week after week after week. Now, your response to the gospel is your choice. But we work really hard to make sure that the songs that we sing and the messages that we preach are gospel-centered and have gospel truth. Now, as a society, as a culture, as we get more and more secular, all right? There's still a lot of people in Dothan and the surrounding area that understand the basic gospel message. But it's not knowledge of the gospel, however, that makes you right with God. There are lots of people that can spit out to me the facts of Jesus' life. They can tell you that Jesus died on the cross. They can tell you that he was raised again three days later. But just having intellectual knowledge does not make you right 
with God. What we see in the very opening lines of this parable is that for you and me in Dothan, Alabama, the word of God has been scattered. The gospel is known by many people intellectually. So the question becomes, what is the proper response to the gospel if it's not just understanding facts surrounding Jesus' life? Well, we talked about this in the very first week when we began Mark's gospel. Chapter 1, verse 15. Repent and believe in the gospel. You can understand all of the facts surrounding Jesus' life and still not repent and believe in the gospel. Repentance and faith are both needed. We don't just say, I believe in Jesus now and I'll repent down the road. They are both requirements immediately. And Mark tells us that in the very first chapter of his gospel, the great preacher and pastor of the 18th century, J.C. Ryle, says this, there is a common worldly kind of Christianity in this day, which many have, now keep in mind, he's talking in the 1800s, which many have and think they have enough, a cheap Christianity, which offends nobody and requires no sacrifice, which costs nothing and is worth nothing. This is over 200 years ago as J.C. Ryle writes this. And I would submit to you this morning that even though we are 200 years on the other side of this quote, that it is still the same today. There are many people that can tell you the facts of the gospel, but it is a cheap understanding of what it means to follow after Jesus. Following after Jesus is tremendously difficult. So we should never try to water it down We should never try to make it easier just to gain a following or to fill up the pews. From the outset, we need to communicate that following Jesus comes at a cost. This is why Jesus teaches in parables. This is why he is constantly on his disciples and on the Pharisees and on the Sadducees because he wants to make sure that they understand if you are going to follow after me, it is going to be difficult. Even though the word of God has been scattered in Dothan and really around America, the word of God has not been scattered all over the face of the earth. Did you know right now there are three point two, three billion people who have never heard the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That represents 41.6% of the world's population. Think about that for a moment. Slightly less than half of the world has heard the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Christ. So let's try to make that make sense to us. Let's use two countries and compare them. Number one, our own country, the United States of America. It's comprised of 507 people groups and only 85 of those 507 people groups have never had an opportunity to hear the gospel. What we would say unreached, meaning that they are less than 1 to 2% evangelical with no indigenous church, Christian church, in their area. Only 85 
of the 507 people groups in this country are still considered to be unreached. That's only 17% of our population here in America. Now let's use India. 2,717 people groups in the country of India. 2,445 of them are unreached. That represents 90% of the population of men and women in this world, in that country. Not that they don't understand what repentance and faith means, but they don't even know what the gospel is. So the word of God might have been scattered, brothers and sisters, in Dothan and in America. But rest assured, there are millions and millions and billions of people around the world that don't just know who Jesus is, but they don't know what he has done for them. They don't know that he came and lived the perfect life and died the death that they deserve. And brothers and sisters, let me tell you, if the gospel is not proclaimed to these people, when they die, they will spend eternity apart from God. That's why we have missionaries. If we were truly to believe that people that don't hear about the gospel are going to be taken care of in the end, then why would we not just shut down all missionary activity? Let's leave them in ignorance. It's better that they don't know. But that's not what the Bible teaches. So we have to raise up and exhaust our resources and exhaust our people to send people all over the world so that the gospel can be made known to those that will never otherwise hear it. God has blessed First Baptist Dothan. God has blessed the church in America with tremendous financial resources. And we are called to steward those resources well, which means that we have a responsibility to do our part, yes, financially, but to get on our knees daily and pray for missionaries around the world, to pray for these unreached people groups that have never heard the good news of the gospel. This is why we have a church just entered into a three-year partnership with Jared and Dustin in City View in Atlanta, the northwest part of Atlanta, has tons and tons of people that do not know the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so over the next three years, we have partnered with them financially. And as soon as COVID stops, we are going to go with them and knock on doors and invite people and tell them about the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is why we just entered into a partnership with some missionaries in Southeast Asia. And every month I gather on a Zoom call with them and others around our country, praying that God would soften the soil of those people so that the gospel could be proclaimed. As COVID decreases and goes away, Be ready to go locally, nationally, and all around the world so that we can make sure people hear the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so Jesus begins this parable by saying, the word of God has been scattered. And so we are called to go. Now you thought that was the sermon, that was just the intro. Here are the four points that actually unpack 
what Jesus is teaching about the different types of soil. And we're going to break it down very easy. The first group, they hear, but they do not believe. The second group hears, but they do not grow. The third group hears, but is distracted. And then the fourth group hears it and is transformed. So number one, the first group, those that hear, but they do not believe. There is a lot of people that fall into this category. People sit through church services every single week. They hear the gospel. They hear it taught. They hear it preached, and they do not believe it. We're talking about people who can tell you intellectually what the gospel is, but they don't believe it in their hearts. This would be a person who says perhaps, well, the gospel is one set of ideas. It is one truth that people can follow, but it's only one of many truths that are out there. Have you ever had a conversation with somebody as you're sharing the gospel with them and they tell you, well, that works for you, but that's not my truth. My truth is different. These are people that hear it, but they do not believe it. And as I say all the time, if you get to the point or you know people who take bits and pieces of Christianity and Islam and Buddhism and Hinduism and they create their own melting pot of a religion, all that they are worshiping is themselves. They are the creator of that religion. Christianity does not allow us to pick and choose what we want to believe, and what we want to follow. Christianity is not an option. It is the way, Jesus tells us in John 14, 6. So there are many people that we know that hear it, but they do not believe it. And let me tell you, church, Satan wants nothing more than to have a room full of people who will hear the gospel and then only think it applies to other people and not them. That's exactly what he wants. He wants churches that will proclaim the good news of the gospel, and yet everybody that hears it thinks it doesn't apply to them, or think that it's not the only way. He wants us to believe that as long as we go through the motions, as long as we show up to church every once in a while, as long as we give some of our money away, as long as we're kind to people, as long as we post a Bible verse every once in a while on our social media accounts, then that must mean that we're a Christian. All of those ways represent the soil of people that hear, but they do not believe it. So when we pray, we pray for people that fall into this category, that think that the gospel is just one understanding of religion. It is just one way to God amongst many ways to God. Those hear it, but they do not believe it. They have not been transformed by the truth of the gospel. Mark Dever, pastor in Washington, D.C., says this, the gospel isn't merely an additive that can make our already good lives better. It is a message of wonderful good news for those who know and realize their desperation for God. The first group that Jesus talks about in this passage 
are those that hear it week after week after week, but they do not believe it. They understand the facts about it, but they never allow it to pierce their heart. They never allow the Spirit to come in and transform them. We also read about this passage, those that hear the Word of God, but they never grow. Now, as a pastor, this soil might be the most frustrating of all of the soils that Jesus talks about here. Because at some time, people that fall into this group, they heard the gospel, they responded to the gospel, and for whatever reason, at some point, they stall out. They don't grow anymore. Many of them leave the church. Why does this happen? Well, there's a lot of reasons why it can happen, but unfortunately, I think one of the primary reasons that it happens is because the church does not come alongside of these people and sit down with them and disciple them and help them to understand, if you are going to follow Jesus, here's what it costs. If you are going to follow Jesus, here's what it's going to take day in and day out to abide in Christ. And so sometimes when people walk an aisle or they sign a card or they say a prayer or they make a decision and the church of Jesus Christ does not come around them, and support them, and encourage them, and show them how to study the Bible, and how to pray, and how to exercise spiritual disciplines, eventually they look around and they say, I don't know what I'm doing. And so they stall out. They stop growing. I know people like this in my life, and I know you do too. Their faith began with excitement and energy, but it never grew. And if they are now disconnected from the church, if they are not engaged in scripture, if they do not have brothers and sisters of Christ that they are surrounding themselves with, then brothers and sisters, their decision to follow Jesus might in fact be insincere. Because there is no Christianity apart from the local body of believers. One of the biggest things that we have learned during this pandemic is that a lot of people think virtual church is church. It's not church. All it is is an option for us to be able to watch when we are not able to gather together. And I'm thankful for it. And I'm thankful that we have our live stream and our television broadcast because there are some people that will never be able to come back. And so we want them to be ministered to by the word of God and by the singing of the songs. But for all of us who are able, the local congregation is what Jesus set up to be the way to reach the world for Christ. Virtual church is just a fad. The brick and mortar, the gathering of the body of Christ is the way Jesus designed it to be and it is the way that it will happen until he returns to collect his bride. Hearing but not growing. Now I want to be careful because the danger here would be for people to leave thinking that if I'm not a pastor, if I'm not a missionary, if I'm not studying my Bible 20 hours a day, then perhaps I'm not saved. That's not what Jesus is teaching here. God doesn't expect any of us really to be able to devote 
18 to 20 hours a day to being in his word and to praying and to memorizing scripture. But if that is not a desire at all in people's lives that claim to be Christian, then it's time to have a serious conversation about what it means to follow after Jesus. 20 hours a day is is not the goal, but people, Jesus tells us in the Sermon on the Mount, who hunger and thirst for righteousness, who love the word of God, who love the church, who are burdened about their neighbors and their family members and their coworkers, who do not know Jesus. We don't wanna be the type of soil that Jesus teaches about here. They receive the message with joy, but because it has no root, it dies away. We also read about a third group in this passage. That is those who hear it, but are distracted. As Americans, we are probably the most distracted country of any country in the entire world. We have more gadgets, financial resources, discretionary income than almost any other country on the entire planet. So when I read this passage about those that hear and that are distracted, I read about myself and how prone we are to be distracted by things that are fun, things that God has given us that are good, but that ultimately distract us from the primary focus of why we are on this earth. And that is to make God known so that he can receive the glory for everything that happens. Distracted people's stuff is more important to them many times than Jesus. And their life on earth becomes the ultimate thing that they care about. My stuff my possessions, my life, all of that is more important than what Jesus teaches about the gospel. These are people who have surrendered their lives to their money, to their jobs, to their families, all things that God has given us that are supposed to be good, but what has happened is those things have taken the ultimate place in their life. And the danger with this is that when we begin to look at the thorns that distract us and that choke the word out, the danger with this is that we can always compare ourselves to somebody else and say, that person over here is way more distracted than I am. Or that person has way more stuff than I have. They have way more money than I have. They are more distracted than I am. So the danger is to play the comparison game. Because the reality is, you've heard me say before, there's always going to be somebody that has more money than you. So if you simply compare yourself to the person who has more than you, you'll always feel secure in how you handle your possessions. You'll always feel secure about how you handle your stuff. Now, I don't think anyone in this room makes as much money as Warren Buffett. That would be the only example of somebody who might have trouble comparing themselves to somebody else. And if you do make as much money as Warren Buffett, I have a lot of questions. (laughs) 
But the danger with this soil is that there is so much stuff. There is so much good stuff in the world around us. Stuff that God has given us. But if we are not careful, we can allow those good things that God has given us to become the ultimate thing and it becomes a distraction for us. Notice what Jesus says in this passage. He talks about the deceitfulness of riches. Not riches in and of themselves. It's the deceitfulness of riches that Jesus is talking about here. If God has given you money, use it for the glory of God. Jesus never once says that anyone who has money is a horrific person. What he says is those that make riches and possessions the ultimate, that is the problem. But Jesus is talking about in this passage the deceitfulness of riches. Why are riches deceitful? They're deceitful because they are extremely satisfying in the flesh, but often detrimental to our soul. That is why riches are so deceiving. Because the more riches we accumulate, the more money we have, the more stuff we possess in the flesh, we feel great about it. We feel secure. We feel in control. We feel like we have power. And that's precisely why it's deceiving. Because all of those desires are desires of the flesh. But all of that stuff, if it becomes the ultimate, is detrimental to our soul. So Jesus teaches in this passage, he's not rebuking those who have riches. He's rebuking those who are allowing riches to deceive them into thinking that the most important thing is the stuff that you accumulate. Here's what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 19, verse 24. You know this verse well. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Raise your hand this morning if you've ever seen a camel enter through the eye of a needle. That's what I thought. What Jesus is teaching here, brothers and sisters, don't leave today and misinterpret what I'm saying. I am not rebuking or condemning anyone who God has blessed financially. You are to use those finances for the glory of God. But if you use those financial resources that God has given you to simply accumulate more stuff for yourself, that is what makes riches so deceitful. And that is what Jesus is talking about in this passage. The riches of this world, they choke up the root that has been planted, and they make the word of God no longer valid. That is those who hear it and are distracted by the things of this world. So do not be deceived by the riches of this world because Jesus teaches us that riches will come in and choke the word. Last but not least, we hear about those who hear the word of God, and they are transformed by it. Obviously, Jesus saves the best soil for last. The soil that will then go on to produce fruit 
thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. Now let's unpack verse 20. If you have it open, here's what it says. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word, accept it, and then bear fruit thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. In order to have fruit that bears more fruit, we must do all three of the verbs that are mentioned in verse 20. Number one, you have to hear it. That's basic. We've established that already at the very beginning. The word of God has already been sown. If you are here this morning, the gospel has been proclaimed. That's simple enough. But here's the deal. Where do you hear the gospel? Well, according to the New Testament, you hear the gospel in the context of a local church. You hear the gospel when it is proclaimed week in, week out, every single Sunday. Now, I realize that in today's world, we as followers of Jesus in America have been blessed with a tremendous amount of spiritual resources. I listen to podcasts all week long, and I hear the gospel proclaimed through podcasts and through live streams and through television broadcasts. But the primary way that God designed the word of God to be proclaimed is in the local congregation. That is where Jesus gave Paul and the other disciples. He told them to go and proclaim the good news of the gospel in these places. So we hear the gospel proclaimed in the context of a local church. Now, we know that the gospel is proclaimed other places. We know that sometimes people hear the gospel just through a friend or a coworker, and they are radically transformed. But the goal is to then immediately get them in to a congregation where they can have fellowship and serve with one another and have community and hear the Bible proclaimed and taught every single week. So number one, the first step in bearing fruit is you have to hear it. You cannot bear fruit if you don't hear it. But number two, you also have to accept it. See, lots of people hear it. We've already talked about this, but there are many who do not accept it. Week after week, People sit in church services and they hear the gospel, but they do not accept it. They leave unchanged. The word used here in the Greek for accept is to believe it to be true. So when we say accept the gospel, we mean that you have to believe that Jesus lived the perfect life that you were incapable of living, that he died the death that you deserve in your place for your sin. And if you will turn from your sin and turn to Jesus, you can be transformed and you can be in heaven forever with him one day when you leave this earth. Lots of people hear it, but many don't believe it. They hear that Jesus died for their sins intellectually. They hear that Jesus rose from the dead. They know that the church is the place where you go to hear about Jesus for some reason, they don't accept it. They don't allow the Spirit of God to transform their hearts. They hear it, but they're not born again, as John tells us in chapter 3 in the interaction with Nicodemus. Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night, and Jesus tells him, you have to be born again. 
He doesn't tell Nicodemus, you have to go to synagogue. He doesn't tell Nicodemus, you have to give away 50% of your wealth. He tells Nicodemus, you must be born again. So lots of people hear it. Lots of people hear it and then don't accept it. But number three, we hear about those who hear it, accept it, and then they bear fruit. Bearing fruit is the evidence of our salvation in Jesus Christ. Now let's make this very clear. No one is saying, I am not saying, Jesus is not saying, Paul is not saying, not that I'm even anywhere close to their level, I'm just using myself as an example. No one is saying that you are saved because of your fruit. That is not what Jesus is teaching here. That is not what the New Testament teaches. The New Testament nowhere teaches that you were saved because you do good things. Ephesians 2 makes it very clear. Salvation is by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, in Christ alone. That is the cry of the reformers. That is the cry of Martin Luther. In Christ alone, by grace through faith. So Jesus is not teaching here in the context of bearing fruit that when you get to the end of your life, as long as you have been a good person, you will be saved. No, no, no. Your fruit is evidence that you have been saved. Your fruit is evidence that you have been transformed. Look at what Luke tells us in his gospel. Chapter 6, beginning in verse 43. No good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush, which I don't even know what that is. The good person, out of the good treasure of his heart, produces good, and the evil person, out of his evil treasure, produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. Fruit is the evidence of the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. You are not transformed by your good works. Christ transforms your heart, and your response is to go and do good works for him. Jesus begins in the Gospel of Mark with this parable because it's a baseline. He's speaking to a crowd of people, and in that crowd is every single type of soil that we have just unpacked today. Those that hear it but do not believe it. Those who have heard it but they don't grow. Those who have heard it but are distracted. But then the best soil, the good soil, is those who hear it. They accept it and they are transformed. The Holy Spirit transforms their heart and they turn from their sin and they turn to Jesus and they spend the rest of their life bearing fruit. That is what Jesus desires. That is what he wants of every single person in this room today. The only type of soil that transforms the world is the good soil. The only type of soil that can address 
the 3.23 billion people around the world, representing 41.6% of the world's population. The only soil that can take the gospel to those people are people that have good soil because they understand what it means to be transformed personally. And they will stop at nothing to ensure that the good news gets out to as many people as possible. So brothers and sisters, this morning, I implore you, we want a room full of people that are packed with good soil. Soil that has been transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Ralph Winter was a missionary who's largely responsible for the way missiology is done today. He shifted the focus from political boundaries to people groups. So he's instrumental in the way that our international mission board operates today and the way that many, many missionary organizations around the world operates. He is the one that came up with this idea that we should reach people primarily through their people group and not just a country. Because within a country, there can be thousands and thousands of people groups. And we need to contextualize the gospel to those individual groups rather than just taking the gospel into a country and saying, everybody come, hear about Jesus. Here's what he said in speaking to missionaries who were getting ready to go out on the field. He said this, you do not evaluate a risk by the probability of success but by the worthiness of the goal. Brothers and sisters, we don't evaluate success in this church or any other church by the probability that we'll just have lots of people show up and the room will be full of people. We evaluate our successfulness based on the worthiness of the goal. And the goal is believing that Jesus Christ came and lived and transformed the world and that anyone who believes in him can be saved. They can be forgiven of their sin and they can then go out into their communities and transform others through the power of the Holy Spirit in their life. So brothers and sisters, as we close today, we desire good soil that can produce 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold. That is what we want to be as a church. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for this parable. More importantly, we thank you that Jesus explained it for us, that we didn't have to do any investigating or tons of research to understand very clearly what Jesus is teaching in this passage. And what he is teaching is, it is only good soil that produces fruit. In other words, it is only those who have been truly transformed by the Spirit of God that can then go out and do good works that can change the world. So God, we learned about all the different types of soil. And I know there are people in this room and watching at home and all around the world right now Every single soil is represented on this planet. We have people that hear it and they don't believe it. We have people that hear it and they don't grow. They stall out for whatever reason. There are people that hear the gospel and they get distracted and the riches of the world become their God. And so our prayer today as a church is that we would produce fruit based on 
the work of the Spirit of God in our hearts. God, as we respond here in a moment, help us to check our own hearts, to ask your Spirit to convict us of our sin. God, use us as a church to go and make disciples, not just in our community, but in our country and around the world. I know you have big plans for this church, and we want to be obedient to what it is you are calling us to do. And we ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen.